people can see things in you that you can't see in yourself. They can see the impact that you're having. So I call it a genius zone. And I believe people don't know what their genius zone is and people are always searching for their purpose. And if you actually just sat really quietly, it's all already inside you. And sometimes the clues come when the people around you are saying things. And if you're shutting them out, but you're still like, passionately trying to seek your purpose, but you're not listening to the compliments or the feedback from people around you, you're actually, that's where the gold will be. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. Here we are, January 2024. And for the month of this beautiful new year, I will be replaying to you our top podcasts throughout the entire uh, experiences of the Self Love Podcast. I look forward to sharing these beautiful top-rated shows with you as I take a little break to rejuvenate, replenish, and restore. I sincerely want to thank you for being on the ride with me. I hope you enjoy these beautiful shows that have already been played. And I certainly look forward to hearing your comments, your thoughts, your feedback. And I will never, ever tire of your five-star rating. I really hope you're enjoying the month of January, taking time for you. And whether you're back at work or whether you're still on holiday, please remember to always take care and be kind. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Podcast. I look forward to seeing you all and speaking into those beautiful ears of yours in February 2024. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have a beautiful soul on the show. One person I'm very delighted to say is one of my dearest friends. She's a proud and passionate Scorpio. Min Swan leaves no stone unturned in her pursuit to find ways to grow, connect, and celebrate those around her. Self-employed at 21, able to decimate complex information and structure, events, and strategies to communicate with intent, Min is behind many projects, initiatives, and connections. And returning to the Sunshine Coast from Sydney in 2009, this beautiful soul was driven into the event world by her love for people and years of feeling like events missed the mark. Min is also the president of the Sunshine Coast Businesswomen's Network and a strategic planner for a variety of chambers of commerce and industry groups. She has many loves, but none more so than her two incredible children. A single mum, Min is a big believer that you leave nothing on the table when it comes to living the best and most possible version of yourself. You are going to love today's interview. You're going to hear some wonderful tips on what it means to truly love yourself. And you're also going to hear some wonderful tips and advice around being the best version of you. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for tuning in and for giving it a five-star rating. Please place your comments on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison and the number 28. You can go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can head on over to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. I look forward to seeing you here at the same time next week. And in closing, I want to thank 28 Essentials for sponsoring this show. I look forward to seeing you all again. Take care. Be kind. Many of you will know that one of my most favorite things to do is to interview people I absolutely adore, but there's something even more special when you get to interview one of your inner circle, one of your besties, and I want to welcome to the Self Love Podcast my gorgeous friend, the amazing Min Swan. Welcome, sweetheart. Wow, thanks, Kim. What an intro. <laughs> well, you and I have known each other for quite some time, and it's probably fair to say we've seen each other go through a lot of highs, and we've also been there for each other when we've gone through our lows. Uh-huh. But before we get into anything more personal, what What I'd love you to do, if it's possible, is to just let the listener know who you are. How would you describe what Min Swan does and how she's come to where she is today? Oh, wow. Um, What I do on a daily basis is uh, run or manage uh, my own 
prestige event management firm based on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, so we are all about creating memories and experiences for people. Uh, who I am, though, is obviously a lot bigger than that. So I uh, would call myself a passionate uh, Scorpio who uh, pushes the boundaries of life and imagination uh maybe even friendship sometimes, uh, to make sure that I live the boldest version of my life possible and also uh, encourage and support those around me to do the same, including my two incredible children who, um, you know, who are 10 and 5. And yeah, they're, they're obviously a, a big part of, of who I am and, and what my life is. Well, you can definitely absolutely know for sure that one of your most incredible gifts is the way you do support people, not only to have their best experiences in life, but you do walk your talk. And I know for me personally, I'm just going to go straight in there. Oh, when, I, when I see <laughs> you celebrate kids' birthdays or friendships, um, celebrations, anniversaries or whatever, there's no kind of half-hearted kind of um, <laughs> approach with Min Swan. Why is celebrating and creating these beautiful, memorable experiences so important to you? Where has that come from? So that is my absolute why in life. If you ask me, um, you know, what what drives me? Um, and it came from my grandma, who was my most precious, uh, precious grandparent. And um, when I was in corporate world in Sydney, I was um, told to get to Canberra where she um, was and, um, you know, to, to make it. And when I was on the plane, I actually thought to myself, what happens if I don't get there in time? And I had this overwhelming feeling of peace because my grandma and I are two people um, that always knew how we felt about each other. So while um, I wasn't always exceptionally good at telling the rest of the world how I felt about them and how amazing they were in my life, my grandma was someone that I could do that with. And so I knew that even if I didn't make it, she she would know. And I just felt really peaceful about that. And then when I went back to Sydney and I was working with the other executives in the team I was in, um, and just thinking about them and their personal, you know, their personal lives, they would talk about how proud they were of their kids and their partners. And I thought, you know, what? I bet the people themselves don't know the depth of what you feel about them. And so my why became really obvious in that I just want nobody to go to their grave without knowing what they mean to somebody. I don't want the moment that, you know, their, their passing or their celebration is the moment that people kind of give you know, think about them and 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 express how they feel. So I practice because I'm not I'm very good at writing. I can write you a really long, beautiful card telling you how much I adore you. But I wasn't very good at being able to say, Wow, Kimmy, look at that shirt. It just really brings out your eyes. I would think it, but I wouldn't say it. And so I just started to become really good at telling people, and practicing telling people how I felt about them, even though it was really awkward and uncomfortable. And then sometimes I still absolutely resort to writing out a card because I just don't want my team. I don't want any of my family. I don't want anybody in my life, even if it's a, you know, a random stranger or somebody I've just seen talk on stage. I don't want them to to not know the impact that they've had through just being who they are. Because people often, quite often, can't even see how incredible they are until somebody points it out to them. So um, I've just kind of made that my mission and my why. And then celebrating people just comes natural. My mum is a huge celebrator. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, but we never missed out. And she would wrap all of our, you know, school supplies and things like that for Christmas so that you know, we would have, we would just feel totally, totally embraced and celebrated, you know, on a budget that we never even knew existed. So it's kind of part of who I am and my upbringing. Um, but then obviously my grandma's um, passing really made it, it come to the fore. I want to ask you then, you say that people don't often realise how good they are or the impact that they make. And this is a big one for someone like you. Mm. Are you just as good as receiving that as you are at giving it? And if not, how have you taught yourself to become better at receiving? 
oh, no, I'm awful at receiving. <laughs> you know that. Um, I, I just thought we'd highlight this right <laughs> at this point. It's all very good and well to give it, but how are we at receiving it, Miss Minswan? Yeah, so so when so I don't know that too many people are very good at receiving it. Um, however, it is something that I have also practised and uh, I think a simple thank you, you know, it's, it's, you're always, or, or I am always uncomfortable when somebody um, does, does give me compliments or, or talk about my impact um, and how I'm impacting. But the thing that I think you diminish is by playing it down when they say it. And especially if they're uncomfortable in giving it, if you then start di- di- dismissing it because you are feeling uncomfortable, you're dismissing them and they might have actually had to get some courage together to actually give you the compliment or to, to say what they're saying. So once again, it, it does them a disservice. But then to listen to it and hear it and then embrace it and then just say a simple thank you is also really important. So I have certainly um, learnt to do that um, and 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 am getting better. It doesn't make you any less comfortable. That's just, a, that's just being human. But it actually does drive you forward because, you know, people can see things in you that you can't see in yourself. They can see the impact that you're having. So I call it a genius zone. And I believe people don't know what their genius zone is and people are always searching for their purpose. And if you actually just sat really quietly, it's all already inside you. And sometimes the clues come when the people around you are saying things. And if you're shutting them out, but you're still like, passionately trying to seek your purpose but you're not listening to the compliments or the feedback from people around you you're actually that's that's where the the gold will be because you naturally do what you do which is what makes you special and what puts you in your genius zone and so other people quite often will be able to see that way before you can because you're all all up in your head trying to work it out and read all the books and do all the things versus just sitting in quiet and um, and knowing that you've already you already know it it's just about bringing it out and looking for clues let's talk about that genius zone a bit because this is the self-love podcast mm-hmm. people love listening to this tuning into it because they get inspiration from the beautiful souls like yourself that we have on the show but many of us are always looking for that purpose or trying to find out our why or not even really acknowledging we have any genius about us. And, you know, when we're a busy working mom or we've got our own business or we've got other people to constantly think about, it's very easy to override what we actually have within us or ignore it or not even Mm. acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. So when I look up and think about the word purpose, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists So what is your purpose apart from your why and about celebrating people? What would be the key things you'd tell someone on how to find their purpose? What When someone says, what are you doing? What are you about? What's your purpose? Many people don't even know how to answer that. Mm. How would you encourage the beautiful listener if they're in that space to really work out what their genius or purpose is? So I feel that we overcomplicate the journey towards finding our purpose. And that is literally a personal opinion. I have conducted zero research on this and and have nothing really to back that up than my own lived experience. So I feel that we can get all wrapped up in the finding the purpose. We can get all wrapped up in in that it's something bigger than us and it's something that is... um, that is hard to find versus actually just self-accepting or realizing that actually it's in us and it's not going to pass you by. It's it's the secret to your purpose is in all the little things that you do on a daily basis and looking for the pattern of what that might be. So I'm a celebrator and I'm a connector. It is very, very natural. It is like the most natural thing in the world that if somebody says to me, I want to do this, I will instantly, without delay, go into who and how can I connect them to the right person, the right opportunity, the right moment, the right whatever, the right book, the right mentor, the right coach, whatever it is, 
that can help them live that whatever that thing might be. So it can be as basic as, you know, does somebody know where to get new tyres for their car? I'm going to instantly going to try to connect them with, with the best person I know all the way through to how do I find my purpose? Ask them a couple of extra questions and try and connect them with somebody, if it's not me, that that, that can help them on, on that path. So I think like looking for the things you just do really naturally I really naturally connect people and I really naturally celebrate and I feel really good when I'm doing it. It's something that despite the thousands of things that I have going on on a daily basis and I wear a lot of hats, as you know, including one of them being a single mum, there's always reasons for me not to do things, but I will tend to find, if you look close enough, you will tend to find that you will focus on your natural purpose anyway. And it might just be for five minutes. It might just be a text message to a to a girlfriend to tell them how amazing they are, which you took you placed as a priority because it's so important to you that somebody else wouldn't place as a priority because their purpose isn't to make other people to make other people feel amazing or big or bold or brave or whatever that is. So, I, I look for the little bits. Look for the things that you do prioritize. Even if you don't have time for social media, but you're always on there, maybe there's something about you connecting. Maybe your purpose is actually just to change make and you always somehow find yourself in situations where you're you're on the edge or you're leading or you're ahead or people are up against you. When I was in my 20s in financial services, people said to me all the time, why can't you just do what we ask you to do? Why why do you have to change things all the time? And I'm like, well, because there's a better way. So I know that that means that somewhere in my in who I am and my purpose is to be a change maker, um, to be a change maker, to be a connector and to be um, a celebrator. And then I think it's just like kind of reducing the pressure around finding this purpose because I think that's when you start spinning your wheels you already know what it is if you actually just believed that you already know what it was and then found a way to just quiet in your mind and 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 have better conversations with yourself it's probably going to pop out and if it doesn't then find some trusted people that you're prepared to really ask the question and see what they say It's so powerful hearing you say this. I find myself listening to the words and questioning my own purpose and what it is that I do. But what I'd love to ask you then, when you think about those little things that we do or that your word was prioritized. So when we prioritize things, they're the things that we value the most, right? So when we're prioritizing things, it means a lot to us. That is a pretty good indicator. And just having that awareness can support you to think about your purpose. Mm. But let me ask you this. Is there things that Min Swan isn't good at then? What if she... You know, so many of us know. Sport, we fitness. <laughs> Sport. Well, you know, you're you're a single mom. You've got a lot of other priorities on no, your No, I'm plate. just actually really not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I choose think, not to be good at it. I don't think Smith and Paige would, would mind you kicking a soccer ball at the park with them at all. I think they'd oh. think you're pretty amazing. <laughs> but when you look at the things that if we're going to focus on what we're good at and what we value mm. and what we prioritise, often there comes a contrast or Mm -hmm. things that get sacrificed. So what are some of the things with you being a change maker, connect and celebrator, what ends up getting compromised in your world that you're aware of? Uh, I I would say, and especially meeting um, people like yourself, Karen Smith, I would say that I am particularly bad at um, putting myself as a priority and that has been something that I have watched you uh, do and really, you know, I've, ta- I've taken so much advice from you around, you know, developing rituals and, and I get into them and I feel really good when I'm in them and then I 
am human and let them drop. And then I remind myself, that's right. Like, remember how good that feels. So putting myself as a priority would definitely be uh, one of the things that I have always struggled with. Like I said before, you know, it's it's just my first go-to that when somebody wants or needs something, I want to find a way. Uh, and that actually, that doesn't make me a saint at all. Like I get so much, I, I love doing that. So I get a lot of happy feelings from that. For some reason, I don't seem to get the same happy feelings from um, from focusing on myself first. So I've really had to put some attention on that. I think especially as you get older and you do have so many balls in the air, you realise and, you know, you, you get told enough by people like yourself and and others around me that, you know, you do need to put on your own seatbelt first before you, you know, can can put everybody else's seatbelt on in a plane that's going down. So that's still not a natural thing for me to do. That's something I have to remember to do and continue to surround myself with people like you that remind me quite often that I need to do that. <laughs> We're being very professional here. I just want you to know that. I um You've I got we'll so say. much you want to say right now. That you're not Let's, saying. We'll save that for off here. Um but what I would love to ask you then, being a mum, mm-hmm. you've got a son and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Now, if you wanted them to grow up with the realization that self-care and prioritizing themselves is important. It never comes from our words. It comes from our actions. And Correct. what I love about watching you with Smith and Page is you honor those incongruencies and uh-huh. you allow them to remind you. Is it fair to say that your children are perhaps your greatest teachers? Oh, 100%. So we do, um, you know, being a single mum, my feedback loop is, is my girlfriends and my, and my, and their grandparents, my parents, but it's mostly um, my children. So I was raised um, by a mother who valued us and our opinion. We certainly weren't told to sit in the corner and, and be seen and not heard. We were a valued part of the family. She would have little family meetings with us when you know she was feeling like things were getting out of balance. And I remember loving being respected for my voice um, and obviously also growing up to you know, to respect and all the rest of it. But we absolutely had a voice. So I um, often will do a little check-in with the kids. Where am I at? How am I How am I going? What What are you feeling? And then I sit and listen. So they obviously, you can't do that if they feel like, if they feel unsafe and they feel like you're going to get defensive and argue. So even if I don't agree with some of the things that they say, or I understand the context within which Smith doesn't get to have 24-7 computer time, um, I will still listen and honour what he's saying about the fact that he feels that, you know, potentially more computer time is a good thing for him. And then I'll always ask questions of them, like, well, give me three good reasons, you know. So we'll, we'll have we'll have robust, almost adult conversations. I would definitely call them adult conversations. And they will say things like, so Smith, it was a, it was a, eye-opener, Smith said to me recently, mum, you're the hardest person in the world to buy for. And I don't think I am, but the majority of the world thinks I am because I always know that there's lots of things I would love. But, And I said to him, oh, buddy, why do you think that is? And he said, well, because you never put yourself first. You never actually tell us what you want. And you're always just, when we ask you that question, you just turn it around to what we want. And that was like, that was just a really simple statement in a really simple conversation that hit me between the eyes. And I thought, okay, I, I'm going to explore that. So, um, so yeah, so then I've realized I have to get better at showing them that actually there are some things that would be pretty cool and that, and for their own benefit, don't, you know, don't just always put yourself last. I think it's noble when we can actually realize children have a voice and they Mm -hmm. are our greatest teachers and often they have insights without all the rubbish and baggage that comes with being an adult. What would you say are the two biggest things or three biggest things that your children have taught you about you, apart from that one there Mm -hmm. (laughs) where it hit you between the eyes, but what are a couple of things that either or both of your kids have taught you about you? Um, so I would say that these are big questions without notice. Um, I would say that 
they have taught me that how you hold yourself um, is everything. So being a single mum, I, you know, obviously often have moments of self-doubt. Am I doing a good job? How am I going? Am I giving them enough time? Et cetera, et cetera. But how they see me and how they've verbalised seeing me as somebody who can just make everything happen, um, they often will say that I make them feel safe um, and and how I respond to things. So what what I, I then took that to mean is I, regardless of what's put in front of me, I will always look for the least dramatic option. And so they obviously watch that and that obviously makes them feel safe. So even if there is something quite dramatic put in front of me, something quite emotional, I have a, a my natural thing is to really break it down, stop, look, and go, okay, what I would love to do right now might be quite dramatic and reactive, but I will always take the other option. And so they've taught that, they've taught me that because I didn't really realize I was doing that until they started saying things like, nothing ever phases you, you're always our safe place. And so then I started thinking about what made me that. Um, they also think that. I'm incredibly wealthy, which is not the case. So, um, but that all comes down to how I hold myself, you know. So I hold myself like a wealthy person. I don't, um, I don't stress a huge amount about finances. I once did, but I've found a real calm around it. It it comes to you as and when you need it, and I've and I work really hard. But the way that the way that they see it is that I'm a wealthy individual and I would say that's got less to do with what's in my bank account and more about how I uh, carry myself and how I prioritise, um, you know, their their happiness. Um, and I think the third thing that they've probably taught me about myself is that I'm more open than I probably thought that I was. So I'm, I've, and that's what I said before, that's a learned behaviour, but I'm quite, I will share with them, you know, like if we have moments where, you know, life is not amazing, you know, I will share with them why I might be feeling sad or why I might be uh, feeling mad or whatever it is uh, in a way that they can, they can process it. But I'm, I'm an open book with them and I'm an open book with the majority with the, with people in my life and they've probably taught me that that I have achieved that which was something that I probably you know did need to work on. I think it's so powerful that question in itself I know mm. I've thrown you just what have your kids taught you about you or what have people taught you about you? Karen's always said people are our greatest teachers and I know for you you mentioned the word drama and dramatic and I don't know about you but there seems to be a lot of drama and dramatizing over certain situations and we all know that the more drama there is the less emotional intelligence there is so how have you really divorced yourself or how do you notice for yourself when something's becoming dramatic as opposed to pragmatic and what do you do to turn drama back into a reality or something that can be fixed instantly or looked into more closely? So I think um, I, I think I got this from Karen, um, and that's that the difference between allowing yourself to have a human moment, which is normally when you're going to be more dramatic than than not, and then giving yourself that gift, so not pretending that things are not making you feel a certain way. So they they make you feel a certain way and then you have a human moment that, that just naturally comes and allowing yourself to do that and then getting better at at how long you let yourself stay in that. So I always remember when I went to the first course of Karen's, which she knows I didn't even want to go to, um, but I remember her saying, you know, you can have a human moment for six years, six months, six weeks, 
six hours, you know, six days or six hours or, you know what, six minutes. So I, that really worked for my, for how my brain operates. And so now I'll be like, you know what, I'm going to have a human moment. I'm going to have it offline would be my first piece of advice. So I, I don't have human moments on social media. Um, so I have my human moment. I allow myself to feel it. And then I go, right, now, now what? And then I just let the now what answer comes to me. So I'm not going to say for one second that things happen on social media that I would not love to respond to. And so in my own mind, I will respond with all of the drama that I might want to actually physically type and and post. But then I'll go, right, do I just ignore this? Do I respond in a more universal way? And what would be the least dramatic outcome or option I could take right now? And I will take that one, even if uh, the human part of me would really love to take the other one. And I'm not going to ever say I'm perfect at that, but I certainly have gotten a lot better at that. Well, I think when we look at the two-year-old throw a tantrum, Mm. um, you know, adults we may think we don't throw tantrums, but whether you're stonewalling or criticizing or gossiping or getting yes. dramatic, they're just adult versions of those yep. tantrums. But there's something that's very unique about you, Minnie. There's something, <laughs> and I just would love to know how you've trained yourself to do that. Because in the heat of the moment, as we know, when we are being dramatic or we are feeling incredibly hurt or vulnerable, or it's not even our doing. Is there something you say to yourself in that awareness that you're going to be human for that moment? Do you give yourself a time limit? Is there something you notice that you say in your head that goes, okay, let it out? What what do you do? How can we learn from you? Um, I think it's, I think there's a natural part of me that actually will always go into solution mode straight away. So if I am going to be dramatic, it's normally going to be after the heat of the moment. And, I, and I'm not sure if that's a learned behavior, if that's just naturally who I am. Um, so I will always go into fix it or solution mode pretty much straight away. But when I when I am in it, I used to make myself feel really bad about having those moments, which just makes extends them really. Now I just, I don't have a time frame. Um, I just won't act until I've got myself out of it. So I will, I, I guess I internalize without, I still feel it, absolutely, or I have a very close trusted circle and, and, and it's only a handful. Um, but I, I just won't act until I know I'm out of the human moment. And I think what you're just saying then, we we chatted about it the other day, actually on our walk, but that circle of trust, that mm. circle of friends, as we age, for many of us, that circle gets smaller, but more powerful. Would you yeah. agree? And how has that worked for you as you've aged gracefully? Aged gracefully. So yeah, definitely. I think, and and having a language with your friends as well. You know, so I will ring somebody and say, right, I'm about to have a human moment, which kind of prepares them for the fact that I already know I'm going to be dramatic and I already know I need to get something off my chest and I probably haven't yet worked it out for myself what the outcome needs to be. So I will ring a very small inner circle of people. I'll normally know all of my friends are very different. I've got quite a diverse friendship circle and I will normally know who the best person is to go to for that particular time. So one of my girlfriends is a single mum ahead of me. Um, You know, she's had to deal with probably more than me. So I will go to her when it's just, I don't know how to wrap my head around what is happening in, in that um, sphere of my life. And I'll say, I'm about to have a really human moment. And then I'll just unleash um, and then regroup normally with their advice and then act. So definitely, definitely having a circle. And I think, you know, you, you just can't ever avoid being hurt. Um, that that's just life because if you're not hurt then you also don't get to do the opposite which is have the full expression of love so there are absolutely going to be people that can hurt you but I think that when you when you work out who your circle is they are the people that have the most power to hurt you and then 
you only give them certain amount of opportunities. So once you realise that there are people that, you know, it's a pattern of, of hurt, then, I, then I've got an ability in my mind to move them out into another circle where I can still love and adore them, but I just don't have to have them. Um, they're probably not someone I'm going to ring when I'm having having a dramatic moment because trust was broken or whatever. But I think without your support network, and we can see that by the suicide rates, you know, I have an incredible support network and it's absolutely one of my greatest strengths is that network. Well, I think you're absolutely right. It's funny you say about the human moments. I'll call Cindy and go, I'm having a level one soul moment. <laughs> and it's just, it doesn't matter. I think what you've just said then is gold because if we can preempt it, it also brings a little bit of humor perhaps yeah. to quite a frightening or sad or emotional situation. But yeah. you did right without taking anything away from what you just said then about the suicide rates. It's pretty horrific. And I just want to ask you then, over the last couple of years, your business in particular has, was hurt terribly. Mm. Um, being in the social circles, celebrations, events, for three years, someone like you was pretty much off grid. Mm. What did you do to get through that time? And how did you manage to bring in all that wealth your children think you have? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I've gotten really good at listening to my inner voice, um, which I know sounds really woohoo and you know that that I go there, um, but I'm also very practical. But I have gotten, so when, so on the 16th of March, 2020, 100% of our events exited our our books and, and it was going to be my best financial year ever. It was my 10 year anniversary and it, it was the year that I was going to, you know, it was all coming together beautifully. And then of course, um, COVID. And then I just, I did, I guess I just went into what I just said before, that same kind of quiet peace and just went, okay, what now? And I just sat in that and it was literally only for one night. I woke up at 3am that morning feeling like it was, you know, was it all just a bad dream and then realising it really wasn't. And then I went, okay, well, what now? What now? And I just kept asking that. I'm really curious, what now? And then a solution came to me, which was to go online. And I knew we had to do it within a day before all of our competitors did it. I knew we needed first mover. And for somebody who took three years to rebrand my business, that was really, um, you know, that was a really big departure for me to walk into my team and go, right, if we're all going to fight and survive this together, we need a logo that looks like this out today. Um, so we didn't even have a day's rest. And then it was just like, like we put on our firefighting uniforms and went out to fight the fire and we probably didn't really get home until January 2022 it was you know it was it was a it was a constant fight so then i guess to to get through that was i went first into solution mode i knew there was going to be emotion around it but i always will go into how do I fix this before and then I, I recognize the emotion and I have a I have some strange ability to be able to kind of put things like that into a box that I know that I can pick when I'm going to open the box. And so, you know, it was probably a good three to six months of putting how I was feeling into a box around it and just fighting the fire that was standing in front of me. And then I opened the box and I felt all the feels and I continue to feel all the feels. So it's just, it's really just giving yourself permission to, to be in whatever you're in. Like I just think if people gave each other, stop thinking that everyone else has it all going on, realise that everybody's actually just putting one foot in front of the other on a daily basis asking for help when you need it, supporting others when they need it, create like reducing the drama around it and just being able to ask yourself because you've got you've got the answers. Sometimes the answers that you've got have to come from somebody else's mouth and that and that's okay as well, which is why you need to surround yourself with people that that are safe for you to be able to say, I just can't work this out for myself. And I apply that even in my team. Like I'll say to the team, 
I don't know what's next. And I'd said that to my team at the time. I don't know if I can save your jobs. My accountant actually really wants me to put you all off today. This is before JobKeeper was announced. We technically don't have wages long term, but I'm prepared to fight if you're prepared to fight. We're in this together. Let's go. So I guess it's about building an army. I guess in anything, it's building an army that you feel safe with. And that's how that's how you get through these things. So true and so powerful. And also the realisation we're not alone. And sometimes mm. the helpers out there, the givers, the connectors, the celebrators, the people mm-hmm. like you, when someone reaches out, it probably feels and fuels your purpose in order to help someone else. So yeah. I think one of the biggest things of asking for help is realizing you're giving someone else the opportunity to do what means so much to them as well. And that is something that you're brilliant at. And I'm just wondering if I can go back a step into mm-hmm. your finance world. This is where you started out understanding money, working in the financial institutions. From your perspective then, and you've touched on it already, wealth is not necessarily the amount of dollars in your bank account. What is your definition of wealth then? And then how do you put your knowledge around finances into being an entrepreneur, running a women's network business? How do you use that beautiful cap of yours in all areas of your life? Yeah, so but so I would openly admit that money and numbers are not my thing. So when I was in financial services, I was in, um, we had our own business, but I was not the financial planner. So I just want to preface that because, um, so that people know that there was actually somebody that was very good at numbers doing doing the financial planning. Um, but what it what it really did teach me is, and I and as a you know a girlfriend of mine you know that i went through a period of my life probably in my late 30s where i was really challenged um, by what wealth meant and what what money went so in my 20s i um, created a financial planning practice with my um, husband at the time he was the financial planner i was the general manager really good at people marketing systems processes etc and he was really good at at um, at the financial planning side of it. But over those 10 years, I then went into corporate in financial services. So really had to learn all, all about what that all meant. Um, still not giving advice, but understanding, you know, wealth, seeing wealth firsthand as a, a being in a financial planning practice, building wealth myself. So my 20s was probably the time where I had the most money in my bank account that I've ever had since. And so then in my 30s, uh, going through a divorce and, um, you know, obviously having what was in the bank account, deciding that events was a passion project, realizing pretty quickly that you can't well, you couldn't, especially financial services has changed now, but, you know, you certainly couldn't make the money in events um, that you could in financial planning, but understanding that this was absolutely something that drove me. I I didn't love the financial services industry. But what I did love about the financial services industry was that it opened me up to a world of possibility by seeing what other people could achieve. So in my late 30s, I definitely had less money in my bank account than I'd ever experienced in my whole life. And I really struggled understanding wealth and and, and it, it was a battle. And then I guess I just dropped the battle. Um, and I just realised that actually, and probably having kids helped this as well, because as you know, I'm a type A personality, extremely driven. What money, what was in my bank account actually really did matter to me. Going backwards was not okay for me. And I made that mean all sorts of stuff about myself. And, you know, you were one of the individuals that I would express that to because I felt safe to. And, we, you know, we would talk about that um, often. And then when I dropped the battle and realised that actually wealth can mean so much more so than just what's in your bank account. So my financial planner has a, um, so I believe in having a financial planner for a start, regardless of kind of how much money you've got in your bank account or, or a guide that can help you, especially if you're not good at numbers um, and if they they don't mean much to you. Um, reading a balance sheet and a profit and loss, I can do, but I, I don't understand them. I don't understand the patterns of them like my accountant does. So being really open and not, and, and I didn't want to feel ever stupid about that. Whereas I just went, you know what, I'm really good at 
at this and other people are really good at that. And so then opening up to the people that are really good at that and saying, could you please look for these patterns? Could you please tell me when you see things that I'm not seeing so that I can um, fix them, etc." But then my financial planner said something one day and he said, money cannot make you happy, but being poor can make you miserable. And I thought, you know what, that is gold. And also, I then sat down and worked out what my non-negotiables were. So my non-negotiable for me as a human, and this has got zero judgment about anyone else, but I want to, at the age of 60, be in the position when I can retire. So then I sat down and I, and I want to have a place of my own. I'm, I'm not overly financially driven, to be perfectly honest. I don't really care as long as my car is, I love my car. I don't really care what badge is on it. Um, but I do care that I don't ever have to worry about where I'm going to live in my 60s, especially if I'm, you know, still single and and doing the do myself. And I don't want to have to work. So I then worked back and went, well, how much do I need in my super in order to be in that position? And I worked that out. And so now I know how much I have to put into super every year and I have to find that money. So back to the priority thing we spoke about at the beginning, it's a priority for me to make sure I'm okay when I'm, you know, from 60 to however long I live. And so now super was something I was not contributing to like I should because I'm self-employed and you you can get away with that. But I have now made it a priority and a not negotiable. So when you set yourself your not negotiables, I want to be able to take my kids on overseas trips so they go to public school so I can afford to do that. I want to be able to provide them for their birthdays the best. I don't want to ever have to think, oh, how much can I afford to give them the birthday of their dreams or my dreams probably more. Um, so I, I work around that. So I've worked out what my financial non negotiables are. I've made that my priority versus just a, a dollar amount in a bank account, which means nothing. What does money mean to you? What can you do with it? What means freedom for you? For some people, that'll be earning a million dollars a year. For other people, that'll be earning $30,000 a year, but being able to spend it the way that they want to. It, it, just, there should be no comparison, in my humble opinion, between people's versions of wealth. It's a super personal thing. I saw that from the richest people in the world that we used to deal with in financial planning. What wealth meant to them was often so, once again, low on drama that they just naturally created it. And then those that were getting all bent out of shape or and caring about what other people thought, we had people that would pay for us to do reviews for them, even though they didn't have really the money to justify it just so that you know, people thought that they were wealthy, you know, it's just be really true to it. What does wealth mean to you? What are your financial not negotiables? And then work out how you can deliver that. And if that's by doing two jobs, you know what, sometimes that's just the reality of the situation. I have to work or I choose to work really hard because of what I want to deliver for my kids and for my retirement. And, and that gives me so much power when you're tired and you're like, really, do I have to do this? Well, actually, I don't have to, but I choose to because I know what I want to achieve for myself only. Yeah, it's powerful. It's interesting you say that about wealthy people. I've, I've always curious and asked them, um, anyone that I know that has done well in business or have set themselves up or have been fortunate enough to inherit whatever it is that they've inherited, I've always asked the question, how much is enough? Mm. What is your definition of enough? And I can tell you this honestly, every single one of them have given me a different figure. <laughs> so again, it comes back to what you're saying. It's actually not about the dollars in the bank account. It's what it means to you. Mm -hmm. I, I heard that another quote, um, money doesn't make you happy but it certainly um, takes away your misery. So mm. similar things. So I yeah. love that. But I want to ask you then, let's talk about your beautiful business because White House International has really grown through these tough few years on top yeah. of the 10 years before that. Tell us a little bit about White House International, your team, what it means to you to deliver incredible events and even what the name means. 
Yeah, so uh, White House International uh, is all about delivering meaningful connection. Mostly we do that through events. So um, we are, there's six of us full time in Budroom here on the Sunshine Coast. That's grown over time. I went into COVID with uh, three, uh, four full timers, including myself, and came out with, um, with six. So we did grow through COVID, which was pretty extraordinary based on the fact we couldn't do our core business. Um, the whole business is around somebody has a message that they want to deliver to another individual or to a group. The majority of our work is corporate and charity, and we work out how to do that in the most meaningful and impactful way. So how do we cut through the noise? Um, people very much, when they when they start decide to run an event, don't think about the cost. And so there must be a return on investment to, to running an event. Even if that return on investment is just that everybody had a really good time, then that's great, but work out at the beginning what your return on investment is. So we take a very strategic view on event management. Um, We are definitely here. I love the fact that when we walk into our clients' businesses, their team will go, oh, something fun's about to happen because you guys are here. So just seeing us normally represents fun, joy, um, that something cool's about to happen. So so that uh, that absolutely um, talks to my purpose in life. Um, But more than that, it's all it's also about my team being able to fully express themselves as well. So, uh, and that's by being really open with them and them being really open with me about where they're at in, in their particular journey and how and how White House can put them on the right track. So, I get a lot of satisfaction from team members coming in, learning a whole heap, and then, you know, quite often they'll always move on somewhere else because, um, you know, it's not their business, but they move on with all these tools and and self-belief that hopefully they, you know, that they didn't have before. It's so true. Every one of your members is definitely what I'd call an empowered version of the meaning behind White House. But Mm. the name White House itself, where did that Mm. come from? <laughs> well, would you believe it actually came from the fact that I lived in a white house at the time and the, the name that I was going to register, I wanted to register the business. It just meant a lot to me after being in an industry that I didn't really love for a lot of years it, and then it, deciding it was my turn. I wanted to register my business on my birthday and when I went in and I did all these planning and months and months of planning and I went in to register the the name and then I couldn't register it because in Australia you couldn't actually um, use that name. So it wasn't that it wasn't not available. I had actually um, researched that but actually when you hit submit it's like that that name can't be registered in Australia. Um, because it had INC in it, which is an American thing. So I had to come up with another name like really quickly. And so this is where the universe provides. So I, I went outside and I went, right, what now? And then I listened and I looked at my house and I went, you know what, we're all about celebrating and I live in a White House and so I just created White House Celebrations, which has now changed to White House International because I thought we would be doing more personal celebrations, which was leading to my purpose of no one going to their grave without knowing um, that they're adored. And then we ended up just, I guess, because of my natural um, bent being, you know, more corporate and, ch- and charity. So we changed to White House International because our my strong vision is to go internationally and bring people to this extraordinary region that we're in on the Sunshine Coast and do incredible events here and show show off all of the um, vendors and suppliers and 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 this region that, that we live in. So that's why I changed it to international. But then when I did come up with that name and registered it, um, I went to Sydney and I listened to people. And when I said White House celebrations, a lot of, and the majority of our clients are actually men um, and and or time poor professionals. And so I listened to all the guys in financial services that went, oh, White House celebrations, what, you do weddings or you do funerals? Like what, like, what do you do? And then I heard them. And so then I came back and I created, I didn't change the name, but I created a brand that was all around the American White House um, 
you know, government. And so we became, you know, secret service and we, we, our brand became quite bold and all about the fact that we will put our body on the line to actually make your event or get your message across to your intended audience. And there's just nothing that we won't do um, to make that, to make that happen, which is that whole secret service. So I went into the business with a really strong why and a really strong essence of we will put our body on the line. And that's actually what our name represented. So it's more about the energy of a name than the actual words and and then how you communicate that um, to your team and, and to the people around you. Let's talk about this thing. You're on the Sunshine Coast. We're both fortunate enough to live here. There's an incredible number of amazing businesses, vendors, entrepreneurs, all sorts of incredible things that happen here. It's a, an amazing place. People often ask yeah. me what's what's in the water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I love the fact that you like to bring people, connect people to this region. And with the Olympics coming, I dare mm. say you're going to be definitely sought out for a lot of things leading up to that. You're a single mum, you have this incredible business, a team of six, you are thriving in all the areas that you do put your heart and soul into, but you're also the president of the Sunshine Coast Businesswoman's Network, which I'm sure takes up a lot more time than would ever be shown on Facebook or Instagram. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and what it means to you to support women in business here on the coast? Yeah, so um, I've been part of the network for 12 years, I would say. And, you know, as I said before, the majority of my clients are men. So why would I have been attracted to a a women's network? And to be perfectly honest, I, I... came from a male-dominated industry and, and women's networks weren't really comfortable a comfortable place for me uh, to hang out. So I did my research before I went to make sure that that it wasn't that it was a, a network that I was, you know, going to enjoy. And then when I got into that network and I realized and and in reflection looking back, I would realize that I would almost say a hundred percent, but definitely 95% of my inner circle, my best support network, that next level of circle have come from the Business Women's Network and meeting people at the Business Women's Network. So I when the opportunity came up to um, go get onto the committee, I felt that that was just a really good way. And in an event space um, that was before far before the president, I felt that was just a really good way of giving back to a network that had given me so much and had and had given me so much friendship and support. And so I did that and I and we wanted to take the events at the network to a whole nother level. And as you'll remember, you know, one of my highlights was interviewing Rebecca Gibney on stage at, you know, International Women's Day um, a, a couple of years ago. And, you know, like just lifting the events to that kind of caliber and showing people that you can do anything that you want to do on the sunshine you know on the sunshine coast and then when the opportunity came up and and Roz who was the president at the time you know kind of had a discussion when we started discussing succession and moving into the president's role I really didn't think I had the, the skills or capability to do that so that's why sometimes I think you have to put yourself on the line so what this network means to me is it's a really safe space to try someone Roz saw in me what I didn't necessarily see in myself and then she created a really safe environment for me to touch it feel it test it see it for myself move into that space and then every time I've been challenged in that in that role for for whatever reason I've used it as a really good opportunity to to level up to go to the next level of my leadership. It's a volunteer role. Um, they can definitely sack me, but, you know, it, there's not as, you know, maybe not as much on the line as there is when it, when it's when it's your business or when you're actually employed by somebody. But it's just, it's given me so much courage to, to kind of level up and learn more about myself and listen. And then hopefully just by naturally lead, like doing what I do, other people get permission or give themselves permission to do it for themselves. So I'm constantly inviting people. I'll, I'm I'm far from perfect and I will always say that. I say the craziest things from stage. But if you're just really open with people, it then gives them permission to go, oh, let, let me explore what's possible for me. 
And if I have got any, if I've left any level of legacy around giving people the courage to explore what's possible for them, I'm a happy person. No, you certainly do that, my girl. And I loved that Rebecca Gibney interview. I just, mm. it was the best. It, and I, I also felt watching you on stage there launched you into realizing the potential of being an incredible interviewer, mm. something that I particularly love to do. And you just found a way through that interviewing process to bring out the best of her in a very playful, gorgeous yeah. way. It was so, and your dad, oh my gosh, <laughs> he was beside himself. Um, <laughs> you know, this is the self-love podcast. I'm conscious of your time and I just have loved everything you've shared, but I want to ask you what I ask all my guests. Then what is your definition for you of self-love? I would say it is acceptance and that is true open warts and all acceptance of who you are so if you sat down and you wrote out a big long list of all the things that you and most people find it a lot easier to write down a big long list of all the things that they don't love about themselves do that and also write down a big long list of all the things that they do love about themselves. And if they can't do that, get somebody else to write the list. Because as I said before, people see stuff in you that you can't see in yourself. And then respect that. So if there's things you don't like about yourself, like I'm not very good at you know, at self-love in terms of I'm good at self-love, but I'm not good at self-care, I guess would be my thing okay so are you prepared to do something about that there might be some things that you're not that you don't love about yourself that you're actually not prepared to change you just don't want to or you just, it's just not a priority for you right now so own that own the fact that that's that that's what it is because that's part of loving yourself as well but if if you do want to change it well then put some actions in place and even if it's hard which it is really hard then, you know, I didn't know that I was a good interviewer. And what a lot of people didn't know on the day that I interviewed Rebecca Gibney was that my partner had actually left on the Sunday before the Tuesday. And, but part of me really embracing that moment was going, you know what, despite circumstances in life, which are far from ideal right now, I'm going to give this to myself. I'm going to give myself the opportunity of stepping up on that stage and interviewing someone that I've watched in Flying Doctors when I was five with my mum and my dad, which is why I had them in the audience because it was such a you know, childhood memory of mine. I'm going to give myself this gift, even if I'm not 100% sure if I can do it. And the only way I can give myself that gift is if nobody knows what's going on in my personal life because I don't want anyone to ask me the question. So look at the things... And so I got through that event um, well, I would say, and then and then I told people about what was happening, you know, the, the people that that mattered, what was happening in my personal life, and asked for support from that point forward. So look at the things that your self love is self acceptance. What what do you love about yourself? What don't you love about yourself? Are you prepared to change the things that you don't love, or are you just going to accept that that's part of who you are? I am a as you know, a crazy, passionate individual who is loud and, and sometimes over the top. And I never used to love that about myself. But when I sat down and I worked out that's who I was, I thought, do I love this about myself? And when I worked out what it's actually helped me achieve in my world and that actually other people really love that about me, despite the fact I spent, you know, a good probably 30 years putting myself down for that, I went, actually, I really do love that. So then it's it's flipped off the don't love side of my of my page to the love side of my page. So and then look at the stuff that you do love about yourself and just really lean into that and make that you make that the thing that you do more than the stuff that you don't love. So That's acceptance so would be the short answer. So, so perfect. And just a true example of what it means to actually honor oneself and look at those strengths with love rather than judgment. I really appreciate it. If people wanted to follow, I mean, you're calling yourself White House International, but I'm assuming that could also be White House Interstate. Um, if there is anyone listening to this that would love an event or would love to create an opportunity to work with you, how can people follow you and where can we find Min Swan? 
so my team make me be on social. So you'll you'll find Min Swan on LinkedIn or Instagram um, would be the two that are probably more outward facing. My Facebook is is more for my for a friendship circle. Um, and then of course White House International has all of the all of the platforms as well as a website. Perfect. Thank you so, so much. Is there, you know, if there was one final message to the person listening to this, the listener of the show is pretty extraordinary and they get lit up and inspired by every single soul that I've ever had the pleasure to interview. Mm -hmm. But if there was one final message that Min Swan would give to this beautiful listener, what would that be? Now, I'm hoping I don't stuff this up because um, I heard this quote when we had John Eels in town recently and I just loved it, but I can't remember exactly how he said it, but it, it, because it hit me so much that I didn't even write it down. But it was something like, people won't hear what you're saying because who you're being is too loud. <laughs> I think I got that right. So, and so that's just it, right? So you can, you can sit on Instagram socials in your, in your personal life, in your corporate life, and you can tell people all the stuff that you want them to hear, but what they see, what's actually really loud is who you are. So the closer that you can, the more you can close that gap between what you're telling them and who you're being just naturally you're, it is where you'll find that genius zone or that gold or that self-acceptance. And I might just finish the show on the fact that uh, John Eels was also nicknamed Hello Christmas. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> A gorgeous human by the sounds of things. <laughs> uh, yes, quite, quite, quite an um, extraordinary human, let's say that. <laughs> Sweetheart, there are so many more questions. Perhaps I could get you back on the show again, but I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being one of my inner circle. Thank you for being a leader, a change agent, a connector, a celebrator. You also remind me of all the things that maybe I don't do so well and how I can shape up and be a better version of myself. And ultimately, my dear friend, that is what I think the power of friendships and good people coming together is they create quite a synergistic effect and feed off and support and love one another. So from my heart to yours, thank you for being one of those people for me. Oh, and, and ditto. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.